Yeah, my name's Nick. Uh, gosh, I, I, I met, I'm looking out and there's a ton of familiar faces in the room, but for folks that I haven't met today um, or just in the recent past, um, I started going to this church in 2003, which dates, it's so incredible to think about, like, you know, being with a church family for, you know, like rounding up on 20 years. And, um, you know, if you think about uh, the experiences that you can have and um, the level of mentorship and all that, I just, uh, October was Pastors Appreciation Month. And reflecting on kind of my history um, and connection with this church, uh, can we just give the pastoral staff a quick round of applause? Because they've done so much. <laughs> so, so much. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that can sometimes be one of the most thankless jobs um, that you can, you can have. Um, you pour out so much, and, and sometimes that, um, that validation or that reciprocity um, might not be there. So... If you have a word of encouragement or just a thank you or a hug or something like that, make sure um, you find our pastoral staff and uh, dish that off their, that, their way. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so if you're visiting with us today, do we have anybody who's, this is your first time at Calvary Slow? Yes. Yeah. What's up, y'all? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, welcome to the family. <laughs> The, uh, yeah, um, so just to give a quick overview, one, just thanks for being here, um, and uh, if you haven't connected with anybody um, yet, we'd love to meet you, um, just to hear about your story, who you are, um, and, uh, and say hi, um, so please stick around, and uh, there's a bunch of people with lanyards um, uh, or badges, uh, myself, but yeah, we'd love to connect with you and just say what's up. Um, and just a little overview of today and just kind of how we do Sundays. Uh, we, we worship, um, we study the Bible, um, we worship, uh, and then we, we hang out together. We talk about what's going on in our lives. We reflect on the message. We drink coffee. Um, we watch our kids go a little bit intense over in the other side. So all I'd say is um, thank you for being here. Uh, it's a privilege to be, um, be with you today. Uh, so if you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand. We got some folks who are coming around. We're, we actually just started the series, as Brian mentioned, in 1 Corinthians. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, I don't know exactly what page that's on, but it's towards the right side of your Bible. So just keep flipping until you hit the New Testament and flip a little more um, and find 1 Corinthians. Uh, so we'll be in 1 Corinthians verses 4 through 9. But before we do that, I just want to recap. Uh, kind of what Brian went over yesterday, just real quick, um, and then kind of set the stage for where we're inputting in this conversation today about, um, uh, about Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, so definitely go check out Brian's sermon from last week. Um, he took us to church and church history last week. So if you want a great recap of um, uh, the history of Corinth, um, the history of the Corinthian church, uh, definitely go check that out. Brian did a great job at covering um, the Apostle Paul's history uh, as detailed in the book of Acts, um, and then also the planting of the Corinthian church. Um, all, all that information, you know, the, it's interesting. The Bible is such this interconnected um, kind of collection of documents, and it takes a while for us to start pulling all these things together, but when we do, it really paints this beautiful picture of how God's operating on a number of different levels. Um, and Brian also centered uh, some, some of those foundational aspects of the Corinthian, Corinthian church's identity um, as people who are called by God, uh, but then also people who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Um, so definitely go check that out. You're not too far behind if, um, if you missed last week. 
Uh, and then again, I definitely encourage you all to read um, the book or the letter of First Corinthians because um, it's this incredible collection of Paul working out these details with this church that has a lot of stuff going on. Um, okay, y'all doing good so far? Nice. All right, here we go. So what's the, what's the setting for, um, for our, our section of Scripture today? Uh, so today's teaching, um, I actually don't have the title on the screen, but um, I'm calling it The Grace of God Given You in Jesus Christ. Uh, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Uh, and I want to talk about the setting of today's scripture because I think it's really important for us to get that um, so that we can understand the significance of what's Paul, what Paul is saying, right? Um, so this is a really small section of scripture, um, but I think it's really jam-packed with some incredible things that Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, but then also that God's, God wants to speak to us today. Um, so the Apostle Paul planted the Corinthian church sometime around 51 AD on his second missionary trip. Uh, so Paul was kind of an itinerant church planner, preacher, uh, and he traveled around um, the Mediterranean uh, planting churches and spreading the gospel and telling people about this, this new movement of people who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. So we can, we can actually go to the next slide. Aha, maps. We all love maps, right? This is super cool. So uh, to get your bearings, um, if you don't know where this is, you can see that boot of Italy, um, and Greece is kind of smack dab in the center. Uh, and these are outlining some places where Paul visited um, to preach the gospel and to start these communities of people who followed Christ. Uh, so he actually spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth building and investing in the Corinthian church. And that's really interesting because it's longer than Paul spent anywhere else, right? Um, and as we dig into the letter over the next, you know, uh, we're going to be, I think we're going to be in 1 Corinthians for a long time. So as we, as we study this letter, you're going to see, like, wow, there was, there was a lot going on that really required Paul's investment, not just for a year and a half, but um, as we'll see, he, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians to respond to a number of things that are going on. Um, so, so after Paul's in Corinth for a year and a half building the church, uh, he actually leaves. He goes back to Jerusalem to report about all the stuff that's been going on. Um, so Jerusalem was kind of the hub, uh, and then um, kind of Damascus um, and Antioch are sort of in there as well. Um, but he wanted to go back and say, like, hey, here's all the awesome stuff that God's doing, um, specifically in the Gentile, non-Jewish community. Um, that was something that was absolutely revolutionary. Like, if, uh, for those of us who, not, who aren't culturally Jewish, uh, who, did, who didn't grow up in that tradition, for all of us to be part of the church would be mind-blowing to first-century Christians um, that were just coming out of the Jewish faith, right? Um, that was something that was absolutely incredible. So Paul wants to report on this. Uh, and then in about 54 AD, Paul starts making his way back up to Ephesus. He's like, I haven't seen my folks in a while. I got to go back and check in on all these churches. And so he's traveling by, you know, overland, and he gets to Ephesus. And you know what happens in Ephesus? People start talking. And they're like, hey, Paul, do you, you hear about what's going on in the Corinthian church? And he's like, wait, what? What's, what's happening? He's like, oh, uh, you might want to take a seat because there's some stuff happening that we got to talk about. And Paul's like, okay, okay. I'm, this is not in scripture, by the way. If you're like, where is this? In Acts, it's not in there. This is me hypothesizing uh, or extemporizing, whatever the word is going to be. Um, and Paul starts getting these reports of like all the stuff going on in the Corinthian church. Uh, he hears that there's deep divisions within the church. 
um, that a man is sleeping with his stepmother, uh, that some men are sleeping with prostitutes, uh, that some women are forbidding others to marry, that the poor members of the church are being ostracized by the wealthy members, and that Sunday gatherings were like utter chaos, right? So, So think about this for a sec. You're Paul. You're, you're traveling to check up on all these communities that you've spent, you've like blood, sweat, and tears, years investing in, and you hear these reports. Like, how, how are you feeling in this moment, right? How are you feeling getting this, these updates that there's some major, major issues going on in the Corinthian church? Um, it kind of be like, imagine if, if Brian, after you know, investing in this church for, uh, for 20 plus years, was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go down to Costa Mesa and report how awesome Calvary Slow is doing. I'll see you guys in about a year, and, you know, like, we'll be in touch. And then after a year, he, he gives me a call, and he's just like, hey, hey, man, you know, I haven't talked to you a while. I just want to check up on the church. And I'm like, yeah, hey, great. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Uh, so w- good news is we have about three services now. Um, the first service is for people who are following James. And the second service is for people who are following Gunther. And the third service is people who are following Ryan Delmore. They're all still here, but we're kind of navigating that. And oh, oh yeah, funny you mentioned, you know, you asked about that person. They're, it's kind of it's funky. They're, they're sleeping with their stepmom. And yeah, and people are showing up drunk to church. And it's like, Brian, hello? Hello? Are, you're, you're still there? Like, you, you, can, like, you can imagine. And, and start to empathize with the gravity of, of this, this information that Paul's getting, right? Because um, Paul doesn't just look at the, the church in Corinth as like, you know, these are, these are just, you know, people that I talked to and kind of lived with for a year and a half. Like, these are his brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And as you read the letter, you see Paul is pouring out his heart and soul into this church, and he's affirming that. Um, so there's quite a bit of tension in Paul's heart. Um, but now I want to look at how Paul responds, right? So let's, let's read, uh, this is how Paul responds initially to these, uh, and actually one, one clarification too. Um, the letter that we're actually reading is, is Paul's, so we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but there was actually like a 0.5 Corinthians. Um, so this letter that you have in front of you right now is, is actually Paul responding to some things that the Corinthian church wrote back to him after this first letter that he wrote. So we don't have that letter. Um, Tim Mackey, uh, uh, who's part of the Bible Project, talked about it like this, and I thought it was really good. It's like, you know when you hear somebody answer the phone next to you, and you can't hear the other voice, but you're, you start like inferring like what's being said? That's kind of what this is, right? Like We're hearing Paul respond to some of the questions and the updates and the dynamics that the Corinthian church is asking him about and responding to. Um, so all that jacked up stuff, Paul, hearing that his church family, his brothers and sisters are in this place, the church is broken, this is how Paul responds. So let's read this together. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are la- you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, into the fellowship of his Son, 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you were Paul, and you were on that phone, or you were writing that letter, I wonder how many of us would start from this place, right? That we would have that, that capacity to say, like, before we get through this up, and, like, if you've read it, you know that, like, Paul throws down, right? He, he, he gets into it with all these things. He, he attends to what's going on in the church. But, but first he starts out with this short but beautiful statement about thanking God for the grace that the Corinthians have. And, and, and I really want to center that because as I've been praying over what God wants to do in this next season of us studying through Corinthians, I feel like God's going to do some work. Like we're talking about divisions in the church. We're talking about sexual ethic. We're talking about roles within the church. We're talking about lawsuits. We're talking about a ton of stuff that the Corinthian church was going on. But you look and you see this, these are some of the exact same factors that we're trying to navigate as the global church right here today, right? And I think if we're going to let the Holy Spirit work on us and shift us and change us, that process is disorienting. But if we have our eyes fixed on grace, on God's grace, if we really dig into that foundation of our faith um, and understand what God has offered us, um, I think that is what is going to allow God to do some incredible work in us, okay? So I want you all to keep that in your mind as we're thinking about and like processing what Paul is saying in this, in this short letter. So, so why grace? Why, why does Paul center grace? Um, it's, it's interesting that grace is kind of one of those, those Christian terms that, like, how many people have heard the word grace before? Right? Yeah. Maybe high, loud and proud. Yes. Yes. Like, that's, that's a pretty, pretty common term, right? You say it before dinner, right? It's like, all right, who's going to say grace? Or, like, if you're frustrated because somebody cut you off on the road, it's like, oh, have grace with that person. Or if they wronged you or they messed up. Um, but I think that idea of grace, what is it? I think, I think that is something that, um, that we might have lost focus on. So, so I really want to center this idea of what grace is um, as we start to process the impact of what Paul's saying. Or what Paul's saying. Uh, so, so the Greek word, right, we've got to start with some Greek. Does anybody know what the Greek word for grace is? Charis, yes, yes. Who said that? I think there was a few people who said that. That was awesome. I think we listened last week. Brian said that. So the people who said Charis or Charis, it's Charis. Can we all do that together? We got to get that. You got to get that phlegm. Charis, Charis. Get, you know, maybe make sure you're not spitting on your friend. Yeah, yeah. So that's it right there, right? Um, Charis is, is, is the term grace that gets used in the New Testament. And, and this, this is a term that gets... Um, consistently brought up uh, in a bunch of different ways um, throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, sometimes people talk about the, go- the gospel as this diamond that you look at from different angles and you can kind of see, oh my gosh, that's, that aspect of it is so beautiful or this aspect is so beautiful of it. I feel like grace is the same way. It's this, this continual process of unpacking the richness of God's grace. Um, and so, so that word charis, um, I think... Uh, um, if you look at what that word reflects, right, um, it's, it's a bit different and more nuanced, I think, than maybe our English word. <coughs> uh, but, <coughs> ooh, phlegm, charis, there we go. 
There we go. Uh, so th uh, there's a theologian, um, Gilbert, he's got a great name, uh, Bilizikian, um, but he has this great uh, uh, definition of grace um, that I want us all to focus on. And this is it. That grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and bless. God is gracious in action. Come on, right? Think about that for a sec. Think about that for a sec. That inexhaustible capacity that God has to forgive and to bless people who don't care about him or his agenda um, or who are outright against him, right? Uh, and when I think about indifference and rebellion, to me, I'm like, that's the Corinthian church, right? Or a lot of what's going on there. And Paul starts with this because he remembers that regardless of what's happening within the Corinthian church, they are still recipients of God's grace, right? Um, there is that foundation that th this group of people are the recipients of, of God's inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. And really, if you think about it, Paul, the rest of Paul's letter, if you have that, that lens of grace, that's really what Paul's looking at, right? Um, he's expressing God's grace, capacity to forgive, and he's, his blessing through the entire letter. It takes on different forms, right? It takes uh, on the form of correction, of justice, um, of, of validation, of praise, of, of, of defining love. Um, but this is all comprised in God's, God's um, inexhaustible grace. Um, so so I, I, uh, let's, let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> Um, so this is the Corinthian church, right? And what Paul is doing here before he's digging into any of these issues is he's reminding the Corinthian church of the good news of God's grace, uh, his forgiveness and blessings through Jesus. Um, so again, God, Paul's about, and God through Paul is about to do a ton of work on the Corinthian church, right? They're going to go point by point through all of these things. Um, and Paul, Paul's trying to bring them back, to focus them back in on grace, uh, so I want to look at four ways that Paul illustrates grace um, in this, this little section of Scripture. Um, it's God's grace as given in Jesus, God's grace as enriching his people, uh, God's grace through what is to come, uh, and God's grace as, as being called. Y'all tracking? You ready? You ready for this? Nice. Okay. All right. Here we go. Um, so I want to start by talking about God's God's grace as given in Jesus. Charis. <clears throat> Keep going. Here we go. Um, so so uh, in, verse, in verse 4, uh, Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus Christ, I think, is such a critical aspect to us thinking about grace, is that grace is something that God supremely expresses through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, Right? Um, that's why Christ is so central to our understanding, um, not just of the good news of God's kingdom, the gospel, but every aspect of what God's doing through his word, right? Like, we need to have this robust um, understanding of the person and the work of Jesus to really tie all this together, specifically when it comes to, like, if we understand that, then we understand, really, this, this core aspect, this, the, I'd say the most beautiful aspect of, of God's grace, 
Um, so grace is something that is supremely expressed through Jesus Christ. And there's kind of two categories that you find in Scripture of grace, right? Um, there's common grace. Uh, so if you remember that verse that um, talks about God causing rain to fall on the just and the unjust, that there's, there's, there's aspects of our reality that regardless of your relationship to Jesus Christ, whether you call him your Lord and Savior or you don't, that you experience God's grace, right? Um, sunshine, air, life. I mean, you can kind of go down that, um, that list of, uh, of God's graces that he gives to all of us, right? Um, and that's, I think that's one proof Romans talks about. It. It's like there's evidence around us of God's grace towards us, right? Um, but but I, I'd say above that, um, and I think we can get a lot of value about reflecting on that grace in our own life, just being thankful for what God's doing. But, but there's a deeper, more profound grace that, that some people talk about as special grace. Uh, again, you won't find common grace and special grace like detailed in Scripture, but these are just kind of helpful um, terms to think about. Um, but there's a special grace that comes through us um, via Jesus and being in relationship with him. Um, and uh, so, yeah, God's special grace, um, that inexhaustible capacity to forgive and redeem is what really comes through relationship with Jesus. Uh, so I, I heard somebody talk about uh, thinking about grace as like a benefits package. Special grace is a benefits package. It's like, hey, if you're, you know, if you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then here's what you get. You know, your 401k, your health benefits, vision, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I think... I think that's helpful, but I, I think that kind of commodifies, um, or wait, no, com- commoditizes. I think that might be the word. See, I'm making up words. Uh, that, I, I think it, it gets, it, it takes us away from the, the relational aspect of God's grace, which I think is really at the core, right? Um, we're not in relationship with God to get his stuff. We're in relationship with God to get him, right? Um, but in that relationship, there's a context to it, right? And I think that idea of inheritance <clears throat> is really helpful for us to understand what special grace is um, that comes to us through Jesus. Um, and scripture talks, talks about this in kind of three different ways, right? Um, this inheritance is like this parenthood relationship that God is father. Um, it talks about uh, this kind of like uh, Lord or like uh, ruler relationship that God is our Lord, our Savior, um, and also, it talks about us, uh, inheritance is this, this, in this marriage context, right? Um, that all of us are, are the bride of Christ. Oh, sorry, all of us within the church um, are the bride of Christ. If you think about those three relationships, parenthood, um, uh, being under authority, um, you know, uh, ruler and someone who's ruled, um, and marriage, there's a context that comes with that, right? Um, I remember when... Uh, my wife and I got married. Um, she just bought a Rogue, a Nissan Rogue, and I drove it for the first time after we got married. I was like, this is my car. Whoa, this is like tripping me out. And, and I know that probably sounds horrible that it's like you're not. Anyways, but, but it was just one of those like, whoa, like we share resources right now, right? Um, and it's a little bit different between us and God, right? We're not bringing anything to the relationship between us and God, but we're receiving blessing upon blessing upon blessing from Jesus, right? And this is what that special grace is, right? That, um, that God has given us an inheritance through us being in relationship with him. Uh, Ephesians um, chapter 1, verses 4 through 7 says this. It says, In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons or as children 
through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So you see all those elements in there, right? In love, the beloved, kind of like some marriage language in there. Uh, Christ, that word kyrios, um, that is Lord in the Greek, talking about that, that authority um, relationship. Uh, and then there was, one, um, uh, there was one more in there. Oh, and then parenthood, um, that we are uh, the children of God um, in relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're starting to get into this picture, like, like us being in relationship with Jesus, us saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, with that becomes this access to this incredible wealth um, of, of grace, of forgiveness, of blessing that comes through the identity that God's given us through him. Uh, so through being brought into relationship with Jesus, we're brought into the reality of this limitless blessing, redemption, and forgiveness that's utterly unique to this relationship. The relationship with Jesus is the conduit through which God pours out his grace upon us. So I think as we think about kind of back to this idea of like what's God going to do as we study Corinthians? How is he going to shape us? How are we going to be challenged in how we think about our lives in relationship to Jesus? I think we have to remember that this is what we have with, with, by being in relationship with Jesus, right? We are his children. We are married with him. He is our loving Lord and Savior. Um, I think we need to remember this focus as God starts to move within us um, and shift us and change us and mold us and to be, uh, to be <clears throat> the, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, so let's look at the, nec- the next point, the uh, God's grace as uh, enriching his people. Um, so 1 Corinthians 5 through 7 says that in every way you're enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was being confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift. Uh, so this is interesting. Paul talks about grace um, as being conveyed through our relationship with Jesus Christ, but then he talks about like something's going on. And it's really interesting. What Paul's saying here is that if you look around, Corinthians, like, you'll see that, like, God blessed you. Like, you all have these tangible elements, evidences that your faith in Christ is is actually legit. Um, And Paul's talking about uh, um, the gift of salvation here, but he's also talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And he'll detail this throughout the letter. uh, so it, and, and Paul kind of talks more about the, the Holy Spirit as being wrapped up um, in grace and, uh, in, as he writes to Titus in Titus 3, four, uh, verses 4 through 7. Um, so he says, uh, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, um, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit by whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So you can start to see there's overlap too. Like Paul's talking about inheritance, right? He's talking about grace being through, coming through Jesus Christ. But he's also centering that as people who are saved, who call upon Jesus as their Savior, part of the grace, the blessing that's given to you and me is that God God places his holy, divine spirit within us. Now think about that for a sec. I gather that when we walked in the room this morning, 
some of us in the room were just like, wow, like I really know and sense that God's spirit is within me, right? Some of you did. I saw you worshiping, right? You were, no, I'm kidding. Um, but, but I think that reality of the Holy Spirit, like when I talk to folks, I think that is something we can forget that God's given us, right? That scripture talks about you, you and I as, as people who are in the family of God are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? How incredible is that, right? That, that, is, a, that, that is a unique blessing that only comes through being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's why I think Paul talks about it is, um, and, and he talks, he, he mentions this in Titus, that the Holy Spirit is and will accomplish this process of regeneration and renewal, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you and me. And again, as we think about what is God, as we anticipate the, the work that God wants to do on our hearts, um, as we dig into this letter, I think we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is within us, Right? Um, the Holy Spirit is, is within us working to renew, to shift, to help us um, be conformed into the image of Christ. And amen to that. That's, that's incredible for us because if we glean anything from Scripture, we know that we can't do it. We can't do it on our own, right? Um, and I will say that um, the process of, of growing in Jesus takes incredible effort on us. But God meets us in the places where we're weak. He gives us strength, um, and he shows us that, that the thing that he's calling us to give up or to shift or to rearrange in our lives pales in comparison to what we have in Jesus. Um, so that's, that's part of God's grace, that he's enriching his people um, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, next, I want to look at God's grace as a divine inheritance. Um, uh, we're looking at, um, actually, let's, let's move forward two slides. Por favor. Yes, and I actually forgot to change this in my notes, but God's grace um, through what is to come. Uh, so Paul talks about something that might kind of trip you out if you're not familiar with um, sort of the, the, this idea of redemptive history or the redemptive arc um, or the biblical narrative. Like those are a lot of, I don't know, theological Bible commentary terms that basically talk about where does scripture, sorry, not where does scripture, where does scripture say we've been and where are we going, right? Um, and and this, this idea of the day of the Lord or when Jesus returns is, is one of those like hyperlinks that Paul is talking about to remind the Corinthians of what's to come. And so here's what he says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, um, kind of halfway through 7, I called it 7b uh, through verse 8, is he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's talking about is he's really talking about grace as what will keep the Corinthians moving towards the promise that God is holding out for his church um, when Jesus returns, right? Um, the culmination of redemptive history. Uh, we'll read a little bit about what that is, um, but I want to share a story with you all about how this aspect of God's grace, about him reminding me of what is to come, um, actually had a really profound impact on, on my, the, the moment that I was in when this happened. Um, so is anybody aware that it was Domestic Violence Awareness Month in October? A couple folks? Awesome. Well, next year, you know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. 
so there was a group of people, um, community members, um, nonprofits, um, uh, who got together uh, a few weeks ago to have a candlelight vigil in Mission Plaza for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And a candlelight vigil is a, is a time where, um, and specifically for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, it was a time where we, we got together to, to remember and to honor the people that had been killed through situations of domestic violence. And part of, part of the evening was hearing people read stories of local um, and statewide uh, individuals who lost, who'd, who'd been killed um, through, through this type of violence. And about halfway through, I just started weeping. Um, and, and the reason I was weeping is because I, I was like fully in the weight of this horrific pain and suffering that I was hearing, right? Um, and if you know what, what being in that place, regardless of it's, if it's hearing or you've been in that place where you've been the recipient um, or you've been the perpetrator of, um, of, of that type of violence or, or something that brings you to that realization that, that I live in a deeply broken world. Um, and there's so many things that, that can uh, provide those, those pillows for us um, to bring us out of, of being in the pain that is the reality of our world. And, and I had this moment standing there where I was just like, why are we meeting? Like, this, this, is, this is such a terrible reason to meet. And, and in that moment, God reminded me of, of this verse um, in Revelation 21. And I want to read it to you all. Uh, and, and this is what, um, uh, what the, author, um, the, the author writes. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Does that hit anybody right now, thinking about that? And I'll tell you why that hit me so profoundly in that moment, is because I was like, there is a day that is coming in the future that I can be absolutely assured of where God will correct all the pain, all the suffering, all the sin, all the brokenness in this world, and he will make it right and whole with us in it. That is an incredible, incredible message for all of us today. Um, and I, I want you to take that home with you because I, I think we can go two ways. One, we can get stuck in this cycle of being um, hit with those waves of this is how jacked up our world is, or we can be in a place where we just want to pretend or, or cultivate our lives where we can't be in those moments. And God says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourned. And this is the grace of God to give us this hope, this assurance of a future time that, that is the fuel for being in those places with people, that is the fuel for saying, I'm here right now, I'm in process, but I know that that is where God's taking me. This is the hope that Paul is holding out for the Corinthians. And I'd say, Paul's almost preaching that to himself, right? He's like, I know there's so much jacked up stuff going on within the church right now, but I need to be reminded as I write this letter that that is where God's taking the church. Amen to that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I'll wrap up with this, and we can invite the worship team to come up, too. Um, 
And it's this last idea of God's grace as being called. Um, so Paul ends this little section uh, uh, by saying, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul is pointing out that God has called the Corinthian church to be recipients of his incredible grace. They may have forgotten who Jesus is. They may have gotten wrapped up in this, the tensions and the dynamics of all the stuff that's happening uh, within the church. Um, but Paul knows at least there's this, this element of you know that you were called and you responded to Jesus' call. Um, Jesus says himself in John, uh, the, John's Gospel in, in uh, chapter 12, he says that I will draw all people to myself. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't not think about uh, John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. And, and this is the first stanza of it. You all know it, um, or most of us do, I think. And it says this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote this on the back end of a life that is, was terrible. Um, he had perpetrated and been a participant in um, the African slave trade. Uh, he, if you read his biography, you'd just be like, this guy went through the ringer um, on giving out and receiving it. And, and he writes this. Uh, I love, I lo- he calls grace amazing. He calls it like how sweet is the sound of God's grace, right? That is so sweet to me. Um, uh, and it... <laughs> And those two things, I was lost, but now I'm found, and I was blind, but now I see. And, and I, I know for a fact that some people in this room, um, maybe, maybe this is the first time that you're hearing about God's grace, or you're sensing that God is calling you into this, right? Into this beautiful relationship of being a recipient of his inexhaustible capacity to bless and forgive you. Or maybe you just came in and you're just like, man, I, I have not, um, to use the term, like feasted and, and just been in this place where God's grace is sweet to me in so, so long. Um, so, so I just want to ask you, like, how is God calling you to respond? Is it you were blind, you didn't see this, but today you see, or you see again, or you see with fresh eyes? Um, or is it that, that you were lost? You had no capacity or understanding that a God could be this good, but today there's this realization of like, whoa, the God that this apostle person is writing about um, has something I've never heard about before. Um, don't, don't miss that today. Um, and I, I wasn't going to do this, but uh, I think we have a couple minutes as the, the worship team comes up. Um, if you want to experience God's grace, or at least I've found this to be true in my own life, one of the most powerful ways to experience God's grace is through confession. Um, we, <laughs> we're so good at, you know when you, you say, how are you doing? And someone's like, great, how are you? We do that all the time. And I actually have tried to make it a practice to tell people how I'm actually doing. So if that's you and you're just like, Nick always talks about how he's doing and I get frustrated because he was always talking about himself. That's just me trying to be honest. But why I bring up confession 
is being real with what's actually going on, not comparing ourselves with, with the interior of my life is being compared with the exterior of everybody else's life. Like, I see that there's all this perfection around me, but I know that I am broken inside. Confession is bringing reality to the surface, and I'll tell you all, it is so freeing. So, <laughs> if that speaks to you, um, I'll, I think it speaks to me, too. I'll be up front. We have people who will be uh, in the back, up front. Um, there's people in this church around you that want to be in that space with you. And confession is just saying, here's the ways that I have missed it. Here's the ways that God is calling me out of, of my, my, the sin in my life. Um, here are the ways that I've fallen short, and, and I just want to be honest about that. And the last thing about confession is, does anybody confess to God but not confess to somebody? I, I do that all the time, and I'll tell you, when something about, and the Bible talks about this, like confess your sins to one another, God works by doing that to somebody, right? There's an intimacy and a personal personality, um, uh, I'll just say intimacy, that comes in that place where we confess to somebody else. Um, God uses that in some incredible ways. So if that's speaking to you, get free. Receive God's grace right now. Um, don't, don't let that pass, because we, we, we're good at that. Um, but that is one way, I think, that we can just be honest with God. This is where I fall short, and I want to receive that inexhaustible capacity that you talk about, that, that infinite capacity to forgive and to bless. Um, so let's pray. Let's stand. Let's worship. Stand if you're able. Thank you. God, we have your grace, uh, and you, you told Paul that my grace is sufficient for you, um, that regardless of all the things that we feel like we don't have, God, you've given us this infinite depth of, of, of wealth um, through Jesus, through his death, uh, or life, death, and resurrection, um, and God, you want to bring us into living in the reality of your kingdom um, that is founded on your grace, your truth, your love for us. Uh, so pray that you would confirm that in our hearts um, and that we would live from there. Amen.